I sure am thankful this morning that I have a no-soul salvation. And I'm going to preach a message this morning that I would put in the category of a doctrinal message. Doctrine is not typically read for entertainment, but it is read for assurance. Have you ever gone through a checkpoint where police were checking identification and insurance, all of that? You know, Brother Young, when they pulled you over, that feeling that you had. You want to know where your insurance card, you didn't pull that out to say, I want to read this while I'm waiting. You don't read it for entertainment, you read it for assurance. And I'm glad that my Christianity does more than entertain me. It assures me that I have a home in heaven. In our text verses, verse number 26 I love the verse, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word, of this wonderful passage of scripture and the truths that are therein. I yield myself to you the best way I know how, and I ask once again, as I have many times, even through the night and early this morning, that you would fill me with your spirit, for I have no desire to present a sermon outline, but a truth that would help us to walk away with the great assurance that we have in you for our salvation. And I would pray, Lord, if there's one here that's never received you as Savior, or if there's one watching online today that's never been born again, that today they would receive you as their personal Savior and to receive eternal life. Bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God is so often misunderstood and as a result he is misrepresented. And so often because we do not look at the whole of God's person or the entirety of God's love. Some see the free pardon of sin in God's love, but they miss the wrath of God against sin. Some see the wrath of God against sin and so much to the place they miss the love of God and the free pardon of sin. When reading an Old Testament book such as Ezekiel, when you see the wrath of God and judgment against sin... One may conclude, if you read just that book, that God is a very difficult and a very hard God. But when we read God's simple plan of salvation, for example, Isaiah 53, or Romans chapter 3, or 1 John 5, one may conclude that God is so full of love that there's not room for any wrath at all. Worse, some conclude that no man can be saved, but that God would choose himself who would be saved for heaven and who would be damned to hell. I'm very thankful this morning that God has designed a plan to offer salvation to all who will believe. In math and science, we learned what is referred to as a balanced equation. How many of you at least remember the term? Whether you can do it or not, you remember the term. Now science was a tad more difficult for me to balance the equation. 
uh, learning the chemical reaction and the number of atoms and all of those chemical charts. I, I still remember H2O as water, and after that I'm a, a tad confused. But, but, the, but the math equations I enjoyed. You had two different representations of numbers, but they had to be balanced or they had to equal the same thing. Uh, for example, you may have four halves on one side and the number two on the other side. Is this a balanced equation or not? The answer would be yes, because four halves equals two. Somebody made me, uh, Miss Stephanie made me some uh, uh, banana bread. No, it was zucchini bread. It wasn't banana bread. It was vegetables. And uh, I love eating my vegetables in that way, don't you? And just so happened that David had come to my office and Joel was there and I had a pot of coffee. And they said, Preacher, you want another piece of this zucchini bread? I said, I couldn't eat another whole piece. Give me a half. And I ate two halves, but I couldn't eat the whole. <laughs> two halves equal the whole, but... Uh, a balanced equation, on one side you may have 31 thirds, and on the other side have a 10, you have a balanced equation. On one side you have 48 teaspoons, the other side you'd have what? Don't tell me you failed that class too. 48 teaspoons on one side and you have a cup on the other. Some of you are clapping inside, you got it right, you just didn't want to guess it out loud. You have a balanced equation. I want you to look at verse number 26. We find here a balanced equation. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just. That's on one side of the equation. Now, God's justice demand that sin is paid for. Sin cannot be overlooked, and the wages of sin is death. On the other side, we have him as the justifier. And I'm glad this morning that heaven is my home and I'm justified. God is just. He required that my sins be paid for. So Jesus the justifier came and he died on the cross in my place. The equation is balanced and heaven is my home. A God of love wants to forgive sinners, but a God of holiness must punish sin to uphold his righteous law. And the Bible tells us how he is both the just and the justifier. On one side, God's righteousness demands the payment of sin. On the other side, God's love offers salvation freely. How can this be? I say it again, God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that he could offer to us salvation freely. I don't know of anything that, that, that bothers me or concerns me more when I talk to someone who goes to church and I ask them, do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? And they answer, I sure hope so. Or they answer, I think so. I'm glad this morning I don't have a hope so salvation. I don't have a think so salvation. I realize that I was a sinner and Christ died for my sin. He said, I'd like to give you this eternal life. I paid for it for you. All you have to do is receive by faith and I'll give to you eternal life 
and take away your sin. And friend, I did that. And according to the word of God, I have a no-so salvation. It's not what I say. It's what the word of God has to say. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of 1 John chapter 5. I've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I'm going to have to shift gears and speed up a bit. 1 John chapter 5, and I want you to look at this passage of Scripture that uses, and I'll not show you all of the places where it says we know, but it uses that phrase we know throughout the passage. We'll begin in verse number 11. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. I'm reading God's insurance policy right now. I'm putting aside how I feel. I'm putting aside what I think and I'm looking at the word of God. And it says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Here it is. I have it underlined in black and then I have the black uh, highlighted with red that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is not dependent on me one single bit. It is dependent on the fact that God is the uh, one that has balanced the equation while his justice demands payment for sin. Uh, Christ the justifier paid a full payment for my sin and he offers to me salvation freely. God not only wants to give whosoever will eternal life, he designed salvation's plan so that the simple faith of a child could receive it. I read for you this morning, Mark chapter 10, verse number 14, where the Bible says, But when Jesus, when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Now, they had, they, they, the children had come to Jesus, and the disciples thought those children are going to bother Jesus, and so they started uh, putting the children away from Jesus, and that displeased him. And then he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, salvation does not require an adult faith. Salvation requires a childlike faith that simply believes God at his word. God is a God of holiness and of righteousness. That holiness and righteousness is laid out in the law of God. When you study the law of God, you realize I'm guilty. We're all guilty under the law of God. If that's the law, if that's the plumb line, if that's what's right, I am guilty of breaking the law. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 142, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Uh, Romans 3, 19, we, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, I talk to a lot of people that say they're pretty good. And compared to others, they're not as bad as others. But when I come to James chapter 2, verse number 10, where the Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So if the chain's 20 feet long and just one link is broken, the chain has no value. It's broken. I'm glad this morning that the law, not only does it show me the fact that I am a sinner, 
It shows me the fact that there is a Savior. And while I cannot save myself and you cannot save yourself, God is the one that comes to do the saving. While on one side he requires justice, on the other side he introduces himself as the justifier. When man stands beside the law, that law of God's holiness, he comes short. He is a trespasser. He is a lawbreaker. He is guilty before God. And the whole world needs to know we're guilty before God. We're guilty before God. We stand guilty. And the justice of God requires that that guilt be paid for. Ah, but as soon as we find out that we're guilty under the judgment and under the law of God, we find out on the other side Christ is the justifier for he paid the debt for us. I don't want you to come to church here and think that you have salvation or hope that you have salvation if you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've believed on him for eternal life. The Bible says that you have eternal life. Galatians 3.24 is an interesting verse. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now the word schoolmaster is not a school teacher like we would think of today. The word schoolmaster was used in the Roman and Greek households and well-educated servants would take the children of that home to and from school and would watch over them during the day. Get the picture now. Sometimes these servants would teach the children. Sometimes they would protect them. Sometimes they would prohibit them from wrong behavior. And sometimes they would even discipline them. These servants uh, were the schoolmasters to make sure the children uh, were learning and were doing uh, right. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 3.24. And here's what he's saying about the Jews and their law. He was saying that the Jews were brought up by the law. This is what you have to do. Brought up by the law. The, the, the servant was not the child's father. He was the child's guardian and disciplinarian. So the law, don't miss it now, did not give life to Israel. It regulated life. Second, the work of the guardian was to prepare the child for maturity. So when the child came of age, he no longer needed the guardian. So the law of God was a preparation for the nation of Israel until the coming of the promised seed, Jesus Christ. Amen. While God is holy and demands perfect holiness and the law requires the wages of sin to be death, Christ died for man. He died in my place. He died in your place. He died for us. Romans 10, 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Romans 5, 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you this story I read, and I've never, never read or heard this story before. Perhaps some of you have. The story were, was of two Chinese brothers. Though these boys lived in the same house, they lived together, they were very different. In fact, they were almost opposite. The younger brother was wild and was willful in his sin. His interests were only pleasure and uh, plunder. The older brother, on the other hand, had heard the gospel. 
he had received Christ as Savior, and he was a decent and respectable young man. The older brother loved the younger brother and would witness to him and told him you ought to receive Christ as your Savior. The younger was not at all interested. He was interested in only living to satisfy himself. The younger brother got to the place that he mocked and he laughed at his older brother every time he would try to witness to him or to warn him. The older brother would pray for his younger brother and he was concerned. He did not want him to die and go to hell. One day the younger boy came running into the house. He was crying out to his older brother and he said, help me, hide me. He said, I've killed a man and the police are after me. Look, he said, the blood is on my shirt. The guilt of the young man and the crime, the murder he had committed was obvious. They heard the siren of the police and they knew that the police were approaching. Now in China, they do not have long trials. If the police are convinced that the crime was committed, they take them to prison and the judgment quickly given. And in this case, the boy knew that his life would be taken. The boy pulled off his shirt. He picked up another shirt that was there, which happened to be his brother. And in haste, he ran out the window and ran away. The older brother, not wanting the younger brother to die in his sinful condition, he did not want the boy to die and go to hell. True story. He picked up that bloody shirt. He took off his shirt and he put on the bloody shirt. The police came in and there he stood. They grabbed a hold of him. And they said, you're the one that committed the murder. The boy didn't speak. They began to interrogate the older brother and ask if he was at a certain place. And he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't say a single word. They took him to the jail and they took him to court. He was sentenced to execution. The trial was short. In the trial, the boy said nothing to defend himself. And the evening before his scheduled execution, he asked, his father, uh, he asked the jailer for pen and paper to write a letter and asked the jailer if he would promise to deliver the letter after the execution. There was something about the boy that appealed to the jailer, so he agreed to do so. He gave him pen and paper and agreed to deliver the letter. The next morning, the older brother was taken to the place of execution, and he was executed for his younger brother's crime. Later that morning, a messenger knocked on the door of the younger brother. Fearfully, the young boy opened the door and he accepted the note written, delivered by the messenger. He opened the letter and he wept as he began to read these words, and I quote, Tomorrow, dressed in your clothes, I will die in your place. And you, dressed in mine, will live a free and clean life in my memory from now on. When the young boy 
read the letter, he took off running to the prison in hopes that his brother had not yet been executed. He sought to see the judge. He demanded to see him. He went to show him the letter and confessed to his crimes and to the killing and to his cowardice. He was informed that his brother had already died and the young man was ordered to leave as they told him the crime has already been paid for. The young man went home and he recognized his guilt as never before and recalled the words of his brother as he would witness to him and tell him Christ wants to forgive you of your sin and make you a new creature in Christ. He fell on his face. He confessed his sin to God and received Christ as his personal Savior. When he did, he discovered that God's greater love and power through Jesus Christ had delivered him from what he had been and would, able, and would enable him to live as his older brother had lived. His old friends came to see him. They couldn't believe that he had become so different. When they invited him to go with them where they had gone before, he said, in my brother's clothes, I cannot go there. He would never go there. After a life of service to God and to man, he died and was buried as he requested in his brother's clothes. I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. You know what Christ did? He picked up my blood-stained, guilty rags. And he bore them on his own body on the cross of Calvary. Because God is just, my sin had to be paid for. So he gave his only begotten son, who had no sin, who knew no sin who innocently died in all of the Old Testament pictures and types of that lamb, that innocent lamb that had done no wrong, it was killed, its blood was shed as a picture of the coming lamb of God. And that's why John said, Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not only did he bear my sin in his own body on the tree, Isaiah said, He hath given to me the garment of salvation. Now I want you to go back to our text passage and I'm finished this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. You can't live right and expect to go to heaven. You can't expect your deeds to get you from earth to heaven. 
Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. As I read these verses, I look at numbers on the left side of the equation, numbers that I don't completely understand, and you begin to add those up, and I look at the numbers on the other side of the equation, and I wonder if it is a balanced equation. As I read verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I read verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation or a payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which what? Believeth in Jesus. Stand with me if you will. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you've never received Christ as Savior, the equation is not balanced. You're guilty of sin and the wages of sin is death. The only thing that can balance that equation is for you to believe and receive Christ's payment for your sin. I remember I was a five-year-old boy, not hardly six years old, when I stepped out of the seat of the church, Bible Baptist Church, West 2nd Street, Xenia, Ohio, and I walked down to the front, I told the preacher, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. To the best of my ability, I said, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sin. I accept your payment for my sin. And that day right there, I was born again. Never do I need to doubt again if I'm a child of God or not. I know my sins are forgiven. Perhaps you remember the place, the time that you prayed and you called on the Lord and you believed on him. You're here this morning and you, like the boy who enjoyed his sin, enjoyed his behavior and finally came to the place that he faced death. And he had a brother that died in his place. That's what Christ did for you. Would you receive his payment for your sin? Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless today. If there's anyone here today that's never received you as Savior, I pray that today they would. And I pray, Lord, for those that have been saved, they've put their faith in you, they have believed. The devil works to torment them to take away their assurance. I pray that as we've opened our insurance policy, our book, your word to us, while we may not have been inspired, we have been assured that we're your child. I pray that you bless in our invitation if there are other decisions that need to be made, perhaps baptism, perhaps church membership, or rededication of life to serve you. I pray those decisions that should be, would be made. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.